right. Hey, Mabel. Hey, Tori. Hey, playwrights. Welcome to Hey Playwright, a podcast about playwriting and life. Tori. Mabel. That we had our pre-conversation before the conversation. And it's a really good conversation, too. <laughs> it's a great conversation. Uh, we were talking about intentions and what our intentions are going to be for this year. It was a, it was a great conversation that you missed, audience. I'm kidding. <laughs> but if you, if you join us for The Artist's Way, which is going to be starting on January 29th, Sundays at 10 a.m., Pacific time. Um, maybe we'll have more of those conversations. I hope we will. We'll have more of those conversations. Um, information for that is on our website. Um, it's free. We're going to be hanging out for 12 weeks starting January 29th, going through April 16th, I believe. And um, you are welcome to join us. But we were talking about intentions, Tori. And so what are your intentions for 2023? I feel like we can still talk about this because we're still technically in the very first month of the year. So it's still, we can still talk oh, about yeah. intentions. Actually, you know what? Screw that, Tori. We should be talking about intentions like every day of our lives. That's what we think. That's, That's where right. we mess up. We think, oh no, we just we just have this first, this l very small window at the beginning of the year to set the intentions. F that, Tori. Intentions every day. Go, Tori. What are your intentions today? <laughs> yeah, no, I I completely agree with you. I think I think one of the reasons people probably get frustrated or down is they make those New Year's resolutions and then it just falls apart by week two <laughs> of January, you know. So so for me, um my intention, I love what we talked about last episode, which was you mentioned getting rid of 10 things every day. I don't know if I can do the 10 things every day, but I definitely have been making a lot of progress on getting rid of things because I, I like my things. Okay. I like, <laughs> I like physical things that remind me of a person or a moment. Um, I love books. Books are something I will not get rid of. I, I will not. I love, as a matter of fact, I continue to buy more books because I like having the physical book in yeah. my hand. I also like audiobooks, though. Like I, I, I can go always <laughs> when it comes to books. Um, but I do prefer the physical book in my hand when I'm reading. I've had a hard time with Kindle as far as reading books online. Um, but my intention is to just continue to honor my space so that I can have a safe, comfortable space to create. And we were talking before we started recording, um, and I'll let you share your intention because it really resonated with me about what you intend to do as far as submissions and your artist process this year. So since the beginning of the year, Tori, I have been drawing every single day. So, wow. yes, yes. <laughs> and so, awesome. cause I'm just trying to get back to, instead of like, oh my gosh, I got to meet this deadline and I got to, you know, like, and it's the same stories over, which I, you know, don't get me wrong. I love the plays that I have worked on. I love those, the stories that I'm telling, but 
the most exciting part of about being a storyteller for me is coming up with new stories. So if I'm spending my energy on submitting stories that I that I wrote a year ago, two years ago, three years ago, um, then I'm not spending as much time telling new stories. But I also think that that's what um, why being a teaching artist is so fun is because we get to keep absorbing people's process of like when they're creating new stories, right? But but just for me, just to just to stay energized. I think like at the beginning of the year, I felt really down. Like, oh, because I, I, I do have really exciting things coming up this year. And they're, they're, they're projects, you know, stuff that I have been, that I've been working on for, for now we can say for years now. Um, and I'm really, really excited about it and grateful for those opportunities. But I'm, I, I think I was just thinking like, well, this is, this is like my year is already planned out. I think I said that, right? Like, oh gosh, my year mm -hmm. is already scheduled out. And that bummed me out because I was like, oh, wow, well, if it's already scheduled out, then like what's, what, what room is there for new creating new things? And so that's when I decided, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to kick back a bit and like, and also I heard this thing the other day that it's like, you know, manifesting the things that you want. Um, you know, people talk a lot about that, like manifest what you want. And then I heard someone say, it's not about manifesting what you want. It's ma manifest how you want to feel. And I think that's the thing, like, I know the feelings that, that, like, I know the things that bring me joy. And it's like when you finish a new, like, a new story, you finish a new play, you write end of play, and like that feeling, you're like, ah. And I really need to be intentional about making time for that. And I have been so far, you know, like, like I said, I'm drawing every day, which is, which is really great. Um, and, but it's, it has nothing to do with submission. If something comes up where I'm like, oh, this would be really cool to submit to, rad but i'm not going to stop everything so that i can get this thing in and you know whatever i just have to let it you know let it i'm not going to chase the opportunity i'm going to chase the feelings of the the things that um energize me that those feelings of like completion of um of curiosity and of just feeling like delight in in other people's um discoveries I think you know because when other people make discoveries and you you get to be a part of that I think that is that is a, that is a true joy that I have in life and that's being a teaching artist and seeing working with new playwrights that are figuring out how to do this and finally have that that moment where they're like I can do this and write a beautiful play I'm talking about this as I'm coming off of a, a performance um, for one of my classes, you know, new playwrights writing their first play and having that, th those plays, you know, actualized by professional actors and them seeing like, oh my gosh, I did that. And it's, it's really beautiful to be a part of that. And so like, I'm, I'm fueled up by that, but like just kicking back and, and just going back to my, my artist self, which is why I'm really excited about us going on, doing this, the artist way. Wow. Yes. Um, I'm going to have a long pause here so I can <laughs> for my thoughts. <laughs> Sorry. I swear I I do still have a bit of um surgery brain. I don't know if that's a thing, but I'm going to say that it is. Yeah. So one thing that has changed for me this year is that having this second 
I don't want to say it was necessarily a health scare, but having to have a second lumpectomy, same breast, go through all of that process, which, by the way, is benign. And that is so great. Yay. I'm so I'm so relieved and grateful for that. Um, But I have to slow down. I just have to my body is not allowing me to do very much. And so everything I do needs to be intentional. And that, again, intentionally creating a great space for creativity. Uh, uh, Even in my phone, setting intentions for the day, like I've been putting the date, and then what I intend to get done that day, that that doesn't necessarily tie into creativity. But just making sure that I have a list that I of manageable things that I can do so that when I complete them, because I love that feeling as well, I have that, that satisfaction of, oh, I did that thing now on to the next thing. But also, um, the artist way. I, look, I've had this book, I have the 10th anniversary edition, which I believe we were talking about. This is from the early 2000s, everybody. So <laughs> I think it's time it's time to actually do it. <laughs> yeah, 2005, I think, was when I had it. So I'm looking forward to connecting with you, Mabel, and with anyone else who wants to join us. Um, and it's nice to have a community. So my other intention this year is to, you know, build my community. So I'm in, in community with other artists. I do love the teaching artists opportunities that I have for the same reasons that, that you've shared. Wow, it is just, it's magical when you see other people succeeding and making discoveries and, um, and harnessing their own artist gifts. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So uh speaking of getting to witness people harnessing their artist's gift <laughs> it is such a wonderful conversation that we have coming up this episode yes we are speaking with andy lowe of east west players Andy Lowe is the director of production and casting for East West Players. He was a finalist for Plays by Young Writers in 1994. He's going to talk quite a bit about that in this conversation, which is awesome. Ovation nominated fight choreographer, actor, puppeteer, director, um, helming over 50 Asian American workshops, readings and main stage productions at the San Diego Asian American Repertory Theater, as well as pop culture musicals and R&D projects for Walt Disney Imagineering. Without further ado, let's get into this wonderful conversation with Andy Lowe. Andy! Welcome to Hello. the Hey Playwright Podcast. Hey, Andy. Hello. Thank you for having me. Wow. I was looking at your bio and <clears throat> all of the organizations you've been involved with that you've started, all of the different hats that you've worn over the years and continue to wear. And I, I just scratched the surface. It's like an ice. You're the iceberg. <laughs> I just saw the tip, and I'm like, oh my god, there's so much more. There's so much, there's more. So much more. Really impressive. Uh, 
Um, uh, th- thank you. I mean, I, I don't know. It's 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 funny because uh, I, I mean, I don't I don't necessarily think of it. I, I um. I mean, I, I understand it's a lot, and, and I also, you know, think back to my 20s, and I'm like, I go, I can't do that again. But, uh, uh, but I mean, on the other hand, I also, you know, a lot of that really was born of being uh, an Asian American, a, uh, an artist of color, um, you know, in, in the 90s, which granted was, was better than previous decades, but also not great. And um, the only way you were going to have a platform of any kind was you'd have to build it yourself. And when that kept not working, I kept having to make another one. So, so you know, it's like, you know, constantly, you know, throwing stuff at a wall and see what sticks. Um, and then when nothing sticks, then I'll go and get hired by someone's bigger, older wall. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, then let us begin at the beginning. <laughs> Because on, on that note, for many reasons, note, yes. especially as a as a theater artist of color, it is it is always interesting to us to find out how, why, like how did you even get into theater? Um. Well, so I think so. Okay. So really, where it starts is is kind of growing up. Um, my my dad was kind of a lover of musical theater. Um, you know, other other dads, you know, the family would bond with them over baseball stats or, you know, football. Um, um, we all kind of grew up watching Gene Kelly and Fred Astaire. And, um, you know, we uh, we actually, you know, f- I, I, I assume you have a lot of San Diegans on, on, on amongst your listeners. But, um, you know, we, like many a San Diegan, you know, grew up as subscribers to uh, Starlight, uh, the Starlight Bowl. Um, you know, back in those days, back in the 80s, you could actually get a subscription series for a full family and it was still affordable somehow, um, you know, uh, which is really astounding when you think about it. Right. Um, mm-hmm. um, but uh, uh, so that that was a, a thing where I just kind of grew up around it. Of course, my sisters participated in musical theater, um, you know, in high school and in college, you know. Um, and uh, so I kind of grew up around the efforts that they had done. I didn't really think of myself um, as a theater artist directly, um, or, or, or a, I mean, you know, I, I was a storyteller, um, but I, I actually kind of got it in my head that I was going to go into, like, more graphic art design, um, you know, sequential art. I got very much into comics, and I was very interested in um, that idea of visual storytelling as a, you know... Uh, of comics and um, um, just, you know, wanting to, to, to find my place in that. But um, I came back to theater, um, you know, because I, I was scripting things like scripting like comic book stories or allegory or, you know, hero allegories um, that I would illustrate later. But um, I, uh, I I ran upon the opportunity to... Um, to develop a play with the California Young Playwrights Project, which is based there in San Diego. And um, it, it was really kind of... Uh, what, what attracted me to it was the point of activism. Um, it was the... You know, having been, um, you know, uh, introduced to the works of, like, Culture Clash, um, you know, Herb Seguenza, and, um, you know... Uh, uh, oh, God, I'm blanking on the rest of their names... <laughs> but um, Salinas, uh, you know them, Rick, Rick Salinas and uh, Rick Montoya, um, and, and and kind of seeing this idea of sketch comedy 
storytelling um, as a method of, you know, deconstructing, um, you know, social constructions of, of, of race um, was phenomenal to me. It was uh, it was such a great way to to, you know, put our society under a microscope and and also somewhat innocuous. Right. It's a bit of a Trojan horse effect. And um, from there, I got very interested in um, the works of Luis Valdez and his involvement with, um, you know, Cesar Chavez and how he was using the process of actos to uh, to incite, um, you know, farm workers to action, right? As a point, and, and, and so that was really my, my my main thing at the beginning was um, storytelling towards activism, towards social change. And um, it uh, it really kind of began with, you know, it was the 1990s. There was a slight, you know, boom in Asian American storytelling. Uh, you know, the, the Joy Luck Club had just gotten made. The Dragon the Bruce Lee story was, was coming out in a few years. Mulan was coming out in a few years. And um, I wrote this play, The Cultural Hyphen, that was trying to... Uh, trying to put names to things that were not necessarily in the common lexicon, right? Like now we, we all kind of know what a microaggression is. Most, well, most of us do. Um, 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 but there really wasn't that language at that time in, in the common vernacular. And so trying to put a name to my experiences, trying to, uh, um, you know, call attention to the unintentional racism that I was, that I was um, experiencing daily or even trying to decide, is this racism? Am I being sensitive? Uh, you know, or, or why do I feel, you know, not knowing what it means to be othered, but being othered daily by my closest friends. Um, and, and that's kind of what inspired that play and kind of set me on this on this course. And of course, um, the next thing was, of course, being sitting there in rehearsals and watching this play come to fruition and realizing... And, you know, and of course, watching it have an effect on audiences as they came and saw my writing and saw my work and then realizing, you know, this is 1994. This is the second time in pretty much all of the globe's history that there was a predominantly Asian American cast on the stage. And I wasn't even in the globe's main stage season. Right. Uh, the, the one before me was Valina Hassel Houston's tea. And it's like if if no one does this you know i i, I thought of um actually um victor via senora another amazing writer um um chicano writer who um actually spoke to my was it my high school or my middle school i don't know he uh, he came and spoke to one of my one of my schools and he was you know talking particularly towards the uh the large latino and chicano um um you know contingency of our of our school but he said something that stuck with me you know he talked about kind of growing up as a bang gangbanger and, you know, the shift in in perspective he had when he went to Mexico and he saw skyscrapers and he saw business people and, you know, and, and, and the lack of limitation to Mexican faces in Mexico. And, and it was kind of a thing for him where it's like, who's going to tell them? Someone has to tell them that there's more than just this. And I had a similar kind of epiphany where it was like, uh, if, if 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 no one produces this, then you, you don't see this again. And um, 
I'd say about a year later, um, one of the cast members who was in that cast of Cultural Hyphen of my play um, um, reached out to me and said, hey, there's there's a bunch of Asians <laughs> and we're meeting in an art gallery. You should come hang out. <laughs> and uh, and from that, you know, we started doing very cheesy, goofy shows, um, um, you know, uh, interpretive movement in an art gallery type things <laughs> uh, with with some, you know, scene work and stuff like that. And uh, we founded Asian American Repertory Theater. And um, by the end of the first year, I had been named artistic director. I, I actually had already, you know, in my search for, like, um, points of activism, I had actually gotten involved with a number of nonprofit organizations. So I had a little bit of a nonprofit experience. And um, um, that was kind of how I ended up in charge, I guess. Um uh, because I kind of knew, okay, we, we need a board, we need to elect a president, we need to figure out, you know. Um, but also, uh, I had uh, been to a, a number of, like, Asian American, like, summits that were hosted by um, LEAP, that's called uh, uh, Leadership Education for Asian Pacifics, they're based in Los Angeles. And they had done some outreach to San Diego's local Asian American community. And I was able, from that I was able to kind of build, uh, you know, kind of that first mailing list that kind of announced our existence, and that was kind of the key to like launching the company. And uh, yeah. <laughs> what? And how old were and you? That was, yeah, that's what I was going to ask. It sounds like you were just right out of high school when you became uh, the artistic director. Is that? I was. I was about nineteen. Right? Wow. I was nineteen years Gosh, old. Gosh. Wow. And, and you know, and I had started volunteering. There was like an organization called. Um, Art and Soul, Teens Beyond Racism, Teens Beyond Racism, and it was like a uh, a small nonprofit um, that was focused on involving you know involving a youth arts board um, in creative endeavors that would you know you know I mean everyone was still kind of feeling the effects post um, the Rodney King riots, and so there were there were organizations popping up of you know how do we engage the youth and you know in in, in topics like these. And so I had been involved in that board. I had, uh, you know, kind of dabbled my way into some local Asian American organizations. So, yeah. Jeez, that's incredible. <laughs> what were you doing at nineteen? <laughs> like, holy cow, that's amazing! Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. I mean, for it, me, it was like you know. I mean, when when you're the one Asian kid in the school, <laughs> you know, for most of your life. You know, and then, and, you know, it, I mean, th this was like, you know, one of those points, kind of embarrassing points, right? Where, where it's like, it wasn't really until maybe middle school or high school that I started to see like a, a smattering of other Asian faces. Uh, uh, and, and, and it was like, you know, there are some of the Vietnamese kids from Linda Vista who, you know, are now at the same school as I was. Um, I, I didn't know what. Filipinos were. I had never heard of the Philippines. Um, um, and, uh, you know, all of that was kind of a bit of an awakening, you know, in, 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 in my high school time. What part of San Diego did you grow up in? I grew up in Claremont. Oh, um, so, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, ironically, you know, now, right, Kearney Mesa Claremont is, is so very Asian American, mm. Asian American suburbs. But at that time, it was. You know, I mean, there were there was upheaval over the fact that they had started a busing program, where they had were bringing inner city kids into the schools um, in Claremont, because 
the local population just didn't have enough students. And so it was like, okay, we can steal your tax money. <laughs> right. Um, um, but it was, of course, it, it, it brought in this whole, you know, and, and I remember, you know, even as a kind- kindergartner where it's like, you know, you walk in and you think, you know, you know, uh, uh, it's like we're all really young kids, but like very clearly all the Mexican kids are over on that side of the field and all the white kids, local kids are over on this side of the field. And then there's the African-American kids who are over on the, you know, the concrete slab where they can do the breakdancing. And I'm like the Asian guy. I'm like, I don't know. I guess I'll go over here. I don't, I don't know what to do. <laughs> oh, man. That, that is fascinating. Okay, so I'm I'm very curious about your your California Young Playwrights experience. Like, how did you, mm-hmm. how did that opportunity present itself to you? Did you did you have a residency in school or did you see that? And I and and follow up question to that, how did you like decide what you were gonna write about? Like did you know that you were going to unpack all of these these it sounds like well actually, tell us what your play was about and then like and then I will have a follow up question for that. So I don't know. I, I guess I'm scrambling sure. all over the place. But I'm very curious about yeah. that. I mean, it was it was very much a fictionalized uh, version of me. Um, so you like you know you can see here is the representative of me here is the representative of you know my Mexican best friend um, you know here is like you know the character that's like based on my mom but is like the analog of all parental and family pressure and you know right um, and it was uh, very much just kind of um, uh, you know an Asian American kid living in a, in a predominantly white suburb um, and trying to find their identity or their place, um, you know, and and overcome kind of the shame that kind of comes with being, you know, other. Um, and, uh, you know, there there's a very fictional white girlfriend character who kind of, kind of represents this other side or maybe like an idealized um, vision of what the main character is you know, seeks to become or pretends to be, uh, in terms of adorn, ador- adorning, you know, whiteness, um, um, or, or white adjacency. Um, um, and, uh, it was kind of interwoven with, um, uh, if you've heard of journey to the West. So this is the other thing too. Um, 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 my sister was involved with a, a theater company called Pacific Asian Actors Ensemble founded in 1977 with, uh, Tom Sesma and my brother-in-law, Kent Brisby. And uh, so they had ran, run this Asian American theater company until, I want to say, about 1983. And after that, uh, she and my brother-in-law founded another company called Asian Story Theater. And uh, they were focused on theater for youth tours that were adapting um, Asian folk stories. Um, they're still running, actually. Um, um, and uh, they had uh, done a number of stories based on Journey to the West, uh, The Monkey King by Witching N. And, um, you know, and these are stories that a lot of Chinese Americans kind of grow up with, right? This is the story of the monk Sansang, who is the monk charged by the Tang Emperor to travel to India to bring back the, the teachings of Buddha to basically course correct all the bastardized versions of, of Buddhism. Um, in what is that early 15th century 16th century or something like that and um, in the stories there are three kind of magical characters 
that go on the journey with him to kind of help protect. And, you know, one of them is this character of the Monkey King, who is this kind of, mm-hmm. like, fallen hero. And um, um, who's kind of seeking redemption or trying to find the balance between what needs to be done in terms of... Because he's kind of the fighter-protector, but he's also a you know, pretty indiscriminate killer, um, you know, in terms of what he thinks is important. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it is this kind of constant relationship um, of, of, you know, the monkey does what he needs to do because it is necessary. The monk chastises him, chastises him for doing things that are morally wrong. And it becomes, it, it's all, every, every story is kind of um, a point of debate which, you know, the journey, of course, teaches various principles of Buddhism um, and, and, and Buddhist values. And um, so I had used a, you know, every every episodic thing has a has an evil doppelganger episode. And I had used the evil doppelganger episode of, of uh, the Monkey King kind of as a secondary story that kind of mirrored um, this idea of the Peter character in terms of what he thought he was versus what he was perceived to be or what he was forced to become um, um, kind of by outside pressure. And so that was, uh, that was a kind of a, um, a, a, a thread that, you know, I took a lot of inspiration from, from my brother-in-law and, the, and, and you know, the way he had presented um, um, the Monkey King. And so that was, that was, I don't remember what was the original question. <laughs> Fascinating. Fascinating. It is. It is. You know, I tried to find the play. I'm like, oh, is he on New Play Exchange? So I did do a a, a, a revision in like 1998, which expanded it to a full, like you know, 90 to oh, 90 to wow. two hour version. Added a few scenes, clarified some points, um, added more of the myth back in. Um, but uh, there isn't really a published version, and I gotta say, I, I think like uh, that final draft is probably on a dead hard drive somewhere. Oh. <laughs> I I have the hard drives too. I, oh. I just haven't committed the money to trying to do the, <laughs> the, like, the data recovery. So hard. I uh. totally totally understand. So much has been lost in formatting, right? <laughs> or not formatting. <laughs> in, <laughs> what am I trying to the, say? But the new yeah, technology. I, the new technology, I have the same issue, and, and it's just so tedious. Oh, my See, gosh, this, this trying to get I'm, that stuff know, back. I, I'm a dinosaur in terms of I like my hard media. I, I want my DVD. Thank my you. <laughs> Thank you. I like that paper, too. Sorry, trees, but, you know. Um, so it, it, it's really cool that this has come full circle then because you are now dramaturging a play. I am. Right for playwrights for plays by young writers. I am. I am. Uh, I'm acting as dramaturg for um, uh, Vincent Schelling, who is doing a play called American Dissonance. Dis- Dissonance, um, um, and uh, yeah, that's that's been kind of fun to um, get into. Uh, it, it's interesting, particularly because you know I was thinking about this actually this last week, where. Um, you know, back back in in the '90s, uh, you know, a copy of my play was sent to David Henry Wong, and you know, yes. he uh, wow. he he sent me this really nice long two page uh, letter of recommendation that I was able to use for various things. Um, but uh, uh, you know, I got to talk to him on the phone at that time too, and it was funny because you know, 
I, I kind of have like quotes, right? I was, you know, um, um, using quotes of various artists and, you know, musicians and people that had influenced me in the play. And uh, I had a couple of quotes from um, FOB from Fresh Off the Boat, his kind of first play in the 70s. And, uh, you know, he said, you know, it's, it's, it's really cool to see this play. Um, it's also kind of sad because it looks like you're dealing with some of the same things I was dealing with in the 70s. Uh, of course, you know, you have uh, a different way of, you know, dealing with it. And, and that's really just interesting to see, you know, that shift. And uh, I had the exact same kind of reaction to, uh, to Vincent's play um, in that there are still questions that he is asking that are the questions that I was asking with, with cultural hyphen that DHH was, was asking back in, you know, 1970. And um, and there are still new answers, um, um, with you know the new cultural context of the now, right? And uh, that's been kind of the most interesting thing, um, working on this. That is truly fascinating, and and also heartbreaking, right? It's it's heartbreaking. I mean, it's it's funny. Um, so my husband is Filipino, and when you were talking about your experience growing up. That was very much his experience that he talks about um, where, you know, he would bring rice to school and the kids would make fun of him and say, you're eating maggots. Um, <laughs> and um, and but now our kids um, are growing up and my son's favorite actor to him. Th this guy is is the ultimate superhero. He loves Randall Park. And I think to myself, oh, nice. How are things better is 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 do we live in a in a different world now where they are seeing more where they see people that look like them um, in the media? I mean that wasn't the case for me. I, yeah. I'm 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 Latinx um, and I I had Sesame Street, but aside from that, you know, like <laughs> not not a whole lot going sure. on. Um, but and then my husband being Filipino, like definitely. I mean they had the Bosco brothers, but you know he was already older. Right. You know, but like very far but my but my kids who identify as you know latinx and also um asian um they see they see these representations and like i said fresh off the boat the show um uh, the tv show and randall park is 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 my kid's idol he just loves everything that dude is in um so what do you think like but i mean but clearly you have this young playwright who is still grappling with these issues um, and then, I'll, and also, like my kids, you know, when during the the COVID nineteen thing, like they've experienced racism, you know, microaggressions from their friends um, yeah. about about COVID nineteen, and and um, yeah, I don't know, it's complicated, but it's but it's I think it's also one of the the complications of living in the United States where we we people of color are not. Like, we don't always play well. Just because we're people of color, it doesn't mean we always play well with our own with our sure. own folks, right? So... Well, I mean, but it's also, right? I mean, this is this is the, the trick with, with um, you know, it's like, we, we talk about white supremacy, and, you know, it's like, we can all say, okay, white supremacy, bad, sure. Um, but, like, really understanding what white supremacy is... 
I think is a whole other thing. You know, it's very easy to say, oh, racism, racism is bad. Racist, don't be, ra be a racist, right? It's like, we can't help but be racist, right? In, in the history of this nation, you know, uh, uh, an Asian person could only apply for citizenship since 1965, right? Um, um, people forget that. You know, I mean, just just even even um, you know miscegenation laws, uh, or or you know, I mean, th that's just a fraction of the history of this country, right? Let alone, I mean, what if, if if we you know if we want to say you know 1776 is the birth of the nation, but there were still 300 years of this building the society before 1776, right? Um, and it had been operating this way really up until the last yeah 50, 60 years, and, and that's uh, that's that's um, the thing that's that's really kind of when you when you think of that historically and you go oh yeah then. All of this is ingrained, all of us, right? Um, um, there are still going to be, you know, cultural norms and systemic issues that we're all going to feel daily, right? And 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 that's where it's things, you know, I, I will never say I'm not racist. I, I will never say that because I know I'm going to get something wrong. I know that there are things that have been, messages that have been sent to me. And it's really, you know, this is why, you know, I, I really do appreciate this concept of, being anti-racist, right, is you have to be regularly active, mm -hmm. right? Um, um, active in terms of thinking, you know, uh, uh, where is my privilege? You know, how are these systems entrenched in every part of our society? Um, um, and it's like, you know, it, it's it's... And it doesn't mean like you're you're living with this guilt or the what whatever. It just means you just are conscious, right? Um, um, conscious of, of, of things that you know are just ingrained. Shit, man. Like okay, like even like every day when I turn on my phone, I have to open my eyes more, right? <laughs> like little things like that where we don't think about it. It's like, and for that matter, my phone, you know, is. It's a Samsung. It was built in Korea, but all the, the the facial recognition stuff is built probably around white re white researchers. So then the fact that I have to open my eyes bigger and like make this face, my friends laugh at me every time they see me pick up my phone, and it's like, no, it's not a me being getting old thing. It's me so that the <laughs> damn phone will recognize me. You know. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. You're right. It's like things you don't even think about until you're confronted with it and doing it. And ugh. So, but one way to get people thinking about it is by telling stories. So talk to us, Andy, because one of the, I think one of um, the most important institutions in theater is East West Players. So talk to us about what that is and what you do there. Yeah, so uh, East West Players is the longest-running theater of color in the nation, the largest professional producer of Asian-American work. Uh, it was founded in 1965 by a number of Asian-American actors who were relatively successful, honestly, right? I mean, we're not talking about slouches. This is, you know, this is Mako Iwamatsu, uh, James Hong, 
Beulah Quo, uh, Yet Locke. I mean, you know, all of them were, were, you know, working people. But of course, when you look at the sum of their work and even they were feeling that it's like there was so much limitation in terms of what they were able to play or what they were able to do in, in the 1960s. So they, they founded this company um, with the feeling that, okay, we need to A, give ourselves opportunities to work on, you know, uh, work with with uh, larger roles and, you know, characters with full arcs, but um, also we need to develop skills, right? Because work is skills, right? I mean, that's, that's the other side of this coin, is that when you are constantly playing houseboy or you're constantly playing courtesan to the hero... Like you're not getting to use your instrument, and you're not you're not getting like the experience that you know um, um, that either is creatively gratifying or uh, developing you as as a performer or an artist. So you know um, they were very big on on their their training programs. Um, they developed a number of writers because that was another priority in terms of well, if they're not going to write our stories accurately, then we need to write our own stories. And, um, yeah, the company has been around for uh, about 60... Okay, it's 67 now. <laughs> I'm still... I mean, there's both both losing the pandemic year, but also, um, you know, I'm, I'm coming up on my 10th year with the company, so it's like, oh, okay, wow. where are we are now? <laughs> um, yeah. But, uh, uh, yeah, so um, I, I'll also say that, you know... Um, you know, I gave you the full tagline, right? But uh, it, it is it is interesting to think about. You know, there's great prestige in saying the longest running theater, professional theater of color in the nation. Um, however, that's also a kind of a dubious honor, mm. in that, you know, that it's not that we were the first, right? There, there was Harlem Shakespeare. There was, you know, very various companies that came before us just the volatility of running a theater of color in this nation and we're kind of the last one standing right mm -hmm. um and of course also you know shouting out that uh that uh, uh teatro de, de Capucino um is also um coming into its 67th year um i, I just um we, we have the you know the, the technicality of you know, professional theater of color because we are, you know, we are an equity um, company. So, wow! And then, so you said you're coming up on your tenth year. Congratulations! And Andy, what is it Thank that you, you do there? <laughs> um, I am the director of production and casting, which is uh, uh, again all these dubious titles. Um, um, what does that mean exactly? Uh, it's, um, I mean, basically I am in charge of a lot of the logistical operations in regards to production, which is everything from overseeing design to implementation, budgeting, scheduling, uh, overseeing our various production departments, you know, scenery, lighting, projections, audio, wardrobe. Um, I also, uh, run our, our casting department and, um... Yeah, and just and, and some general general operations as well. Okay, one of the other many 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 things that you do, fight choreography, and yeah. I came across a video, um, where you had done the choreography for the production at East West Players for Man of God. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And very proud wow, wow, 
<laughs> I rewound it and watched it again because it was you. so incredible. How did you Thank come you into much. that? It, yeah, um, bike choreography. Well, you know, this is the funny thing. So to bring it back, right, um, um, the the opening monologue of my play Cultural Hyphen began with the character of Peter Jew, the, the, the me proxy, uh, as it were, um, at his black sash test, you know, in, 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 in Kung Fu. Um, and it was this whole monologue kind of grappling with the, this idea of this is a great accomplishment. Um, the tradition of Kung Fu goes back very long, and it was a way to connect with, um, you know, community and culture and all that. Um, but at some point, every Asian American who takes martial arts has to ask themselves, did I take martial arts because I wanted to, because, you know, it was a way to connect to my culture, or was it social pressure? Was it, um, you know, and, um, you know, for me, it was, I, I had started um, training in a Korean-style um, Tung Soo Do back in my high school days. Um, and in college, um, I shifted over to uh, to Chinese Kung Fu and uh, worked with a, re a really wonderful um, um, Kung Fu teacher, Sifu Dwight Love, who's based out in, in, in San Diego, um, doing Shaolin-style Kung Fu. So I, I had very much been, you know... Um, part, you know, doing martial arts for a number of years, and of course a lover of, of martial arts films and classic, you know, martial arts, uh, like Hong Kong cinema. And um, when this play kind of came up, and, uh, you know, we had brought on Jessica Prudencio, who um, teaches at SCSU, um, to direct the play, um, I, I, mean, I told her, like, look, um, you could probably talk to anyone in terms of, like, these other exchanges that are, you know, more just general brawling. Um, however, uh, uh, this this particular scene in, in Man of God by, by Anna Munch, um, it's about emulating that particular style of Hong Kong cinema and, and you know, classic wuxia um, style fighting. And, uh, and, and, for, and, and for me, it was like, I, I, I know that world very well. Um, you know, I mean, obviously, all the Monkey King stuff in, in Cultural Hyphen had a lot of that as well. And, uh, uh, you know, would, would you be willing to work with me on that? And she was like, yeah, no, I'd love to have you on board for that. So, um, so yeah, so I, I ended up doing that, that choreography. And, um, yeah, I, I was uh, nom nominated for for um, best choreography that year. Didn't win, which is fine. But uh, but you know, it was. I mean, it was more like getting to do it. I was very proud of my my um, my, my throwing darts, which was actually oh. a gag that I had stolen from my brother-in-law um, uh, that he had done with the, the Asian Story Theater like years ago, where he took you know black black um, elastic bands that were very long. And stretch them across the stage, and you you know you blow on the on, on some feathers, and it looks like something has has been launched with magical force across the stage. Um. So cool! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have to say, uh, we've we've been to two productions, and at East West Players and I've both been to times. three, Tori, because I went to see Viet oh, Gone. Oh, I'm sorry, that's right. I saw Albert did. Park at Viet Gone. <gasps> Yeah. Oh yeah. oh yeah, that was another Albert. fun one. Yeah, um, directed by Jen Chang, another UCSD alum. Wow, 
the special effects are bomb there. <laughs> I mean, I like I, I'm just I gotta blown say, you, you, away. You, you've chosen wisely in terms of yeah, like these are all of our most stagecraft heavy uh, productions. You, you know, not every play is is that that heavy. But uh, yeah, between Viet Gone, Man of God, and um, and uh, and uh, uh, um, and um, the Brothers Paranormal. Brothers, Par- Brothers Paranormal. Oh, sorry. Th- um, yeah, th- these these were all you know these were all heavy, heavy stagecraft shows. <laughs> oh, we saw, we saw the oh. Great Jerry Curl debate, and oh yeah, we were blown away by the posters. <laughs> yeah. The Thank you very much. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh my gosh, it was. But I, but I swear that fight choreography, I went. Oh my gosh, it, you know it's, it's those moments. The fight choreography you did for Man of God, and again, I was just seeing this on video. I can only imagine how fantastical that must have been in person to see that happening. Um, it, it was. It just made me again go, you know, the possibilities with theater are endless and it just takes the vision of a person looking at the script and going, oh, yes, I I know how to make this sing. And wow. Well, and, and, and a big thank you to, to Jessica for kind of going with me on that. I had to convince her of a couple of things and she was like, no, no, give it a shot. Give it a shot. Let me see if I like it. And then, you know. <laughs> And then you got nominated. And then I got nominated. <laughs> yeah. I-, I saw this quote from you, too, because you're a director as well. I mean, I actually consider myself a director first, sadly. Um, you know, I-, I don't really get the time or the bandwidth to to do much directing of my own um, because of the-, the company and the duties of the company. But uh, but yes, yes, I am a director. <laughs> well, you were, you were talking in this... Um, the quote that I saw as you were talking about directing being like um, a racing team or trying to tell oh. a racing team, you know how to drive <laughs> yeah. the Ferrari. <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean, and this is the thing. So I, I also, you know, one of the ways that I have supported my theater habit um, was, I, you know, I, I worked at La Jolla Playhouse for almost 18 years, mostly as a stagehand. I was also spent a few years um, as a as a program coordinator um, for their theater and residence program, but um, but uh, I spent a lot of that time as an electrician um, and stagehand, and um, it was so interesting being there. And you know, I'm running a follow spot, but I get to kind of watch um, some world class directors work, watch them stage. And uh, and trying to say this without sounding arrogant, it it absolutely kind of removed some mystique for me, mm. where it's kind of like, oh, you're struggling with this too. Oh, you have no idea, or or you know, I mean, there, I mean, quite honestly, there, there are there are some really awful plays that go straight to Broadway. Um, uh, and, 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 and we all know, we won't name any names, but we, we know they're out there. Um, and, and, and when you kind of look at things in that term, you, you go, okay, you, you watch really good directors that know that this is a really bad play, but they 
are going to find ways to make up for it because it's a Broadway bound show. Um, um, and so they're going to at least deliver on spectacle or in other ways. There are um, shows where you're like, oh, you're, you're no different than me. In fact, I know I'm a follow spot right here and I know how to fix that moment that you're struggling with, mm. but I'm a lowly follow spot. So I can't, I can't intervene or I can't tell you. Right. And, 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 and that to me became a, a great equalizer of sorts. Right. Um, of course it made it sometimes more frustrating when I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> um, um, you know, I'm, I'm struggling to build a platform, um, on this, on, you know, on the other side of my life. But, um, but I mean, yeah, it was, it was in some ways that was my grad school mm. in terms of just kind of watching. And unfortunately I don't have the portfolio to show for it. <laughs> but you have the, the knowledge that, I mean, it just, it, it, I think though you may not have the portfolio, your, your generosity of, of knowledge like permeates. So I think maybe maybe it's not getting like showing the resume but i think like it just comes out in 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 what you offer to the world oh thank you thank you very much i mean uh, i mean it, it is it's a thing where you know i i have i have spent so much of my career building platforms um, of course building plat trying to build platforms for myself and being more successful at building platforms for others and if that's, you know, the way the universe is going to work, then great. <laughs> then I'm going to take that where I can go. Uh, I, and I can. It's like, it, it is it is a it is a very cool thing to say, you know, this past year, one, two, three, four, like five or, five or six people who uh, I spotted casting at East West Players as far back as 2014 finally made their Broadway debuts, right? And and um, you know, not not to like claim them or anything, but but still, it's like knowing that the difference on you know this particular actress's resume, um, not having you know twenty credits of you know ensemble of Miss Saigon. But having that one lead ingenue role from Mamma Mia and, and, and the dramatic impact it has on her resume that opens doors to other things, right? Um, th this is an anal analogy I, I use a lot of the time in terms of when people ask me about the whole casting issue and, you know, are there Asian Americans in casting? You know, um, um, I, I always look back to our production of Next to Normal that we did and we put a call out for um you know uh you know the, the, the teenage daughter um in in the play in the musical and um we got a lot of submissions for natalie um you know something like 600 uh uh submissions of mostly white you know actresses teens to 20s um um and you know maybe a handful of african-american a handful of of latinx um, and, you know, around 200, you know, Asian Americans. And um, I could, you know, just randomly select any one um, headshot and resume out of the, you know, Caucasian, African-American, 
and Asian American pile, and and it would tell you a story, right? You would look at the Caucasian actress. Let's say that they're all roughly around the same age, about like you know, twenty one, um, fairly fresh out of um, conservatory or uh, a MFA program or something like that. And the white actress will have probably roughly thirty to forty credits that will like run the gamut uh, from like Forty Second Street to you know on the town to you know whatever. Um, a couple of lead roles here and there that they've pushed to the top. The African American actress will have maybe about like twenty credits, and you'll see like you know Smoking Joe's Cafe, Smoking Joe's Cafe, Lion King, Lion King, Lion King, Lion King, you know, um, uh, uh, Memphis, Memphis, Memphis. Um, and then you'll get to the Asian American resume and it'll be like 10 to 15 credits and it will be Miss Saigon straight through and then like one production of, you know, um, of uh, name the musical where they had, you know, na- name a musical and they allowed one Asian couple in the ensemble <laughs> um, or, 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 you know, you'll have like, you know, a, a King and I here or a, a South Pacific there. Um, and, and, if I just at face value take these three resumes at a complete face value, and I don't take into account, you know, what is the opportunity here? I mean, well, I mean, actually, mm. it does it, it tells you what are the opportunities if Asian Americans can only audition for productions of Miss Saigon, um, and you know, and maybe get lucky on the, on a singing in the rain here and there. If the African Americans can audition for the five shows, you know, uh, but. You know, Caucasian actresses have access to the full canon. Then you know, then these are not. This is not real opportunity, and these are not good gauges of you know training, or 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 you know, craft, right? Um, and and so yeah, so that idea of you know, I remember you know Tim Dang saying to me like you know, East Coast players will never do a production of Flower Drum Song because predominantly white institutions are doing Flower Drum Song. So that doesn't offer them anything new. We're going to do La Caja Fall. We're going to do The Who's Tommy. We're going to do, you know, uh, Spring Awakening, which we're going to do this coming year, right? And we're going to do original stuff um, because it, it, it is still a point of activism, right? It's not just the butts and seats. It's here is a credit that you would not have on your resume if not for us, right? I love that. Advocating, producing, directing. <sighs> Still doing this. And Almost yes. 20, 25, 25 years? I don't know. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> well, and in addition to all of that, you also host not one, but two podcasts, right? Yeah, so so there's a, a network called the Geekish Network, um, and uh, this was yeah. something that kind of came up over over pandemic um originally i was uh recruited to be a replacement host on uh on the on the flagship show which was pan geekery uh pan geekery. Just covered yes. co- covered the, the 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 gamut of um pop culture uh but that show has since um gone gone the way of the dodo and um uh, i was reallocated to a star wars focused podcast which is called uh, pod squadron which is uh, live live streamed most most Mondays, not every Monday, uh, depending on whether or not there's Star Wars media going on. <laughs> wow. 
I was talking to Thelma Bell. about it. Thelma Verada de Castro, our, our mutual friend. Yeah. And, uh, and I was telling her, I haven't listened to it because I haven't, I'm behind on Andor. Like super. Oh, so good. Super, super behind. I saw, well, I mean, like, I saw the first three episodes because I think those are the ones that when they first launched it, right? It, they posted those first three episodes. And then I never came back to it. And so I. I have to, and Thelma was like, I can't speak to you anymore. We had a whole thing about Diego Luna. Um, <laughs> we're fighting. He is dreamy. We're, we're, He's totally dreamy. He is, right? But we're fighting over him because Thelma is under the mistaken impression <laughs> that he's hers. And I'm like. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, so once I once I, I catch up, then I will uh, I will catch the, the your latest episodes. I, I will say, you know, I mean, of course, I mean, I am of this age of, of you know, where I grew up with Star Wars. Um, I, I, I was not. Okay, here's here's the thing, right? I, I would say many would say, oh, Andy, Andy, he's a big nerd. Um, I am a big nerd, but I, I am, I am, uh, I am not as big of a nerd as most people think of me. Um, I would say my brand is that I'm a big nerd, um, but. Uh, you know, I, I'm also what I would call like a geek of all trades, where I I dabble in a lot of different things. I can I can talk to people about Tolkien. I can talk to people about Star. Wars. Well, okay. At this point, I've had to become a bigger Star Wars lore nerd um, for the show, and that's been a lot of research. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, it's it's more like I pick up a lot of things so I can, you know, be at the the cocktail, the nerd cup cocktail hour, and you know. Flit and float between groups, um, but uh, uh, yeah, no. Andor's great, honestly, and Andor, God, is 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 a great masterclass in writing. I gotta say, uh, and, and I think the big thing too is is um, once you once you kind of clue into that, oh, he he's not writing a they're they're not writing a series, they're writing like a series of three act mm. um, th three act uh, screenplays. And each episode is an act. Mm. Then it's kind of like okay. So then, I, then, 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 give it the time. Give it the time to to, to, to build the slow burn because um, there's so much wonderful kind of character. Um, I also had the moment where like one one of the arcs where like I, I had this instinct where I'm like, this felt so much like House of Cards, and I loved House of Cards at the beginning <laughs> of that. Yeah. And then I went back and looked through, and I'm like, oh yeah. There it is. This whole arc was written by the the creative House of Cards, mm. and I was like, I could tell, I could tell, I knew it. <laughs> oh my gosh, isn't that funny? When you're watching something, you go, "This feels so familiar." Feels familiar. And then you go back yeah. and look at the you go, at the writing style. Team, you go, "Aha!" <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like, I knew or it. like it's how they structure things, or it's how yeah, you know it's, right. it's like that. You you hear that Sorkin dialogue, and you're like, either either uh -huh. you are Sorkin, <laughs> or you trained under Sorkin. I'm gonna figure it out. <laughs> Uh, I love that you got into talking about uh, the stories with with the with this. I'm not even going to embarrass myself with how <laughs> truly far behind I am on anything Star Wars. <laughs> but uh, this it leads nicely into our asking for a friend. Mm -hmm. So, Mabel, did you have uh, any other burning questions for Andy before? I ask the uh, this is this is this you're asking for a friend is the burning question. That I'm is very excited about okay, this. Okay, here we go. Here we go. 
Which Star Wars character deserves an origin story musical? An origin story musical. Musical. It's got to be a musical. Based on... This is kind of inspired by the Karate Kid musical. You know, like, <laughs> people people are taking musicals in interesting places. So, which character of all I mean, of the Star Wars universe... I mean, I mean the cop out. The cop out answer is anything that Star Kid wants to do because they're they're great at, at at doing those musical parodies. Um, but you know, okay. Um, I think the really fun one, and just just to go full meta fun, silly with it, because right, because that's that's like the the fun of musicals is to not take yourself completely seriously. So if you could do like the in world, like musical adaptation of the life and times of Jabba the Hutt and his rise to power (laughs) in the galaxy. Yes. That that would be freaking solid. Holy moly. Where you like the see the, you know, the rise, you know, and and I don't know if, if he's like rise to power, like in a Godfather sense, or if it's, you know, the idea of he inherits um, his empire from his predecessor in the Hutt clans. Um, But, uh, but, you know, Kind of a self-glorifying um, hut musical. Stop about the musical! I love it. Oh my god! Like like Hamilton that style, would be right? So of, 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 entertaining. And of, and of course, you would have to deal with like like the musical is is in itself a a you know a uh, a suspect narrator, right? Or uh, a uh, what's a what's a, uh, a, 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 a what's the term I'm looking for? A a uh, in, um, a non unreliable 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 yes right. that's what like, it is I don't know if that, okay he's jumping the hut I'm not gonna <laughs> <laughs> choice well, well done Andy <laughs> all right and that all right. that takes us to uh, Andy do you have a writing prompt that you can leave our listeners with. Uh, sure. So this writing prompt is uh, somewhat inspired by uh, Vincent, by Vincent Schilling's play. Um, he has uh, a particular scene which very much resonated with me. And I was like, ooh, that's a good one. That's a good line. But um, so what is your family's origin story if you could exoticize it? Right. And this is based on this idea of you know, people didn't want Chinese people in San Francisco and California. There was a whole exclusion act and all that until they made it Chinatown and built pagodas and created a whole fake mystique of mysterious Chinatown, the tourist trap, Um, right? So, and, and so many Americans, I think, do not think of their or their family's origin story in the way that Asian Americans are forced to think of themselves as refugees escaping a war or, you know, from an ancient uh, mystic people or whatever like that. So what is your origin, your family's origin story if you needed to put this veneer of, of exoticism to it? Wow. Oh. You just gave me an idea. I had to type it in right away. So I don't... 
<laughs> I mean, I'll, oh I'll, my I mean, god! I'll, I'll credit Vincent with that actually, because I mean, that, that it's a great, it's a great. Oh yeah, that's a great gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> wow, fascinating. I look forward to seeing that because are, are you going to be able to make it? into town for the production i know you're probably going to be in the middle it's uh it's it's tricky um so i believe uh there is kind of the the invited like you know public opening um um on the 28th and i will definitely try and come down for that but at the same time i am also running auditions for an original musical called on the side of the world um up here in los angeles for east west players Mm -hmm. um and this is a a gorgeous uh musical by a filipino composer named um, paulo tirol um that kind of is a song cycle that kind of runs the gamut of the um the filipino american kind of immigrant community and what are the experiences um um that bring people here that how people create homes for themselves or 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 find home or leave home um um you know, that kind of thematically being kind of the, the core essence of, of this. And it's it's a gorgeous show. The, the music is um, some of the most, like, haunting use of, 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 uh, of, of um, like, kind of choral uh, harmony that I've heard in, in some time. I'm very excited about this production and also you know honestly with so many filipino americans that are in this industry uh that never get to play filipinos um 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 it's really exciting to to be able to do this production and bring this you know to the forefront for the filipino american community so amazing is the playwright in los angeles He's actually based in New York, uh, so he and his uh, collaborator, uh, Noam Shapiro, who is also directing it, are coming in from New York uh, for, the, for the premiere. Um, I know that there are, there are talks about other productions, which I don't know if I can talk about, but there's possibly another production um, um, in the works for San Diego. And, you know, knowing that San Diego has maybe the second, the second largest uh, concentration of Filipinos, not just Filipino Americans, but Filipinos in the world outside of of uh, Manila, um, um, you know that 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 community and that audience, um, I think, really deserves um, production of this. So, oh, that's fingers crossed. Agree. And now, when yeah. does when does it open at East West Players? So we uh, okay. I have to think. You're hearing the producer brain turn on. Okay, so we <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> we start. Rehearsals in March, so I believe uh, April, okay. April, April or May. Late April or, or May is, is when we uh, will be opening. Fantastic! And, All right, uh, and you can look for the memberships uh, online. Yes, talk <laughs> about the memberships. Go uh, for it, Andy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, so I mean, so this is our season this year, which is uh, three shows. Um, it's uh, on the side of the world by Paulo Tirol, uh, this original musical. Um, we're also doing Spring Awakening. Uh, and that will be coming in the fall. Uh, but uh, the season kicks off with um, we are co-presenting um, Christina Wong, which I think just did a run. Uh, she just did a run in uh, in San Diego at La Jolla. Yes. Um, uh, so we are yes, kicking that did. off, and she's doing um, the same show, uh, Sweatshop Sweatshop Overlord, um, in uh, at the Geffen Playhouse here in Los Angeles. Yes, we interviewed her, and she oh, is phenomenal. Yes. 
She's great. Um, the first time I met Christina was at um, the 2000, I want to say the 2006 National Asian American Theater Conference in Los Angeles. And she uh, she barged in the middle of our panel wearing a giant j- vagina costume. Uh, and her and, and she gave birth to uh, something. <laughs> I, 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 it, was, it was fantastic. Oh, my gosh. It was brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I I love how bold she is. She she's just so spirit brave of disruption and, right there. <laughs> I love it, love it. So, if you want to be found, how can people find you? Uh, yeah. So, uh, I'm still still have leftover branding from when I was working independently. So, uh, you can pretty much find me uh, as as at Chinese Pirate underscore on pretty much all platforms, whether that's Instagram or. Uh, Twitter. Well, I don't know if people are on Twitter anymore. I'll probably abandon Twitter soon. Um, um, also on Facebook, you can find the Chinese Pirate. Um, um, that is that's there, and of course, uh, East West Players um, uh, has a lot of its own social media um, and uh, eastwestplayers.org, which is where I'm at, which is my current home. <laughs> Wonderful. Andy, this has been such a wonderful conversation. I know that we were stalking you at um, the Brothers Paranormal. <laughs> so thank you for being so gracious and, and following up with us. Because <laughs> we're kind of yeah, we, we saw you. Yeah. We saw you. We saw you in the distance. I think you were kind of in front of the theater, and uh, Mabel and I were there. We had brought my daughter along to see the show. Mabel goes, "That's Andy." <laughs> you know, I like, mean, I'm just kind of like so like, funny. We just kind of clocked you yeah. walking from group to group. I'm like, so okay, disturbing. you know. I, I mean, I'm always just kind of like people know who I am. I mean, I, I I do so much from like you know I'm like just like ninja guy, you know, poking <laughs> and prodding at things until they work. Um, <laughs> so. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, Sometimes I'm always it's a matter too of knowing, like looking the person up on social media. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's but we're also, but we're also just, we're also just creepy that way. That's, that's what we do. Yeah. We just, that's what we do. That's what we do. Yeah. That's what we do. So thank you for saying yes. Thank you for showing up. Thank you for this conversation. Uh, thank it's, you for having me. It's been wonderful to hear your story and learn about all of the amazing things that you're doing and continuing to do. Thank you. Thank you so and much have for done. being interested. <laughs> I'm so glad we got to have that conversation with Andy. And Tori, where's he from? San Diego. That's right. You heard it, kids. From San Diego. So- and, and it sounds like his um, his career, everything has kind of come full circle because he's dramaturging that play for plays by young writers. And... We just want to give a plug right now to Playwrights Project, who sponsors this amazing contest with Mabel was also a contest winner. Started two years. (laughs) (laughs) But it's their 38th season, which is incredible. And of course, this is an organization near and dear to our hearts. So we are really hoping that we're going to get to run into Andy um, when they do the public performance, which is Saturday, January 28th, uh, starts at 6.30 p.m. They they always have a really nice uh, pre-show, or I don't know if I'd call it pre-show, but there's... Nice reception. A, a reception. Right? There yeah, we go. And they always yes. have a really good spread. 
Oh my gosh, it is so good. Yes. Yes. Um, and if you have a school here in San Diego, there are matinees um, on Thursday, January 26th and Friday, January 27th, both at 10 a.m. If you need more information on that, please contact Playwrights Project, playwrightsproject.org. Excellent. Very excited um, to go and check that out. Tori, what do you got coming up? Anything exciting? So, so the one thing I can share is that I am one of the 12 playwrights that will be attending InchFest this year for the new Play Lab. Tori, are yeah. you going to Independence, Kansas without me? I, I know. I know. But you'll be going somewhere else. Yes. But. The same weekend. <laughs> yes. So we'll talk more about that Uh Later, this is our penultimate episode. We have one more episode left for the s- season five of A hey Playwright, and it is going to be a all killer, no filler episode. <laughs> <laughs> I am so excited to land that one. And uh, just plugging our artist way what are we calling it? Artist way. Hey, Playwright. Workshop? Hey, hey playwright, playwright does the artist community. <laughs> hey playwright does the artist way. Uh, that is going to start next. Hey playwright Sunday. walks the artist way. <laughs> there we go. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that is funny. That oh, is good. We amuse ourselves, Tori. Nobody else in the world thinks it's funny, but we—that's okay. <laughs> we enjoy ourselves. <laughs> So yes, join us. Make sure you sign up through the Evite. That is where you will get the information for the Zoom link and all Eventbrite. of that. Eventbrite. Not an Evite. Not an Evite. Not an Evite. <laughs> Eventbrite. Right on. All right. And with that, if you found value in this episode, please like, share, subscribe, um, and uh, oh, review. You can also review. Reviewing would be nice. Um, yeah. Thanks to everyone for, for listening to the show. And with that, Tori. Bye, Playwright. Bye, Playwright. <laughs>